So starting with Malachi chapter 3, um, from verse 16 and through to the end of the book. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honoured his name. On the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, they will be my treasured possession. I will spare them just as the Father has compassion and spares his Son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble, and the day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. But for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays, and you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. Then you will trample on the wicked They will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to the children and the hearts of the children to their parents. Or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. Now we'll flick over to 1 Thessalonians, um, chapter 5, and we'll be reading from verses 1 to 11. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly, as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep. But let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate, and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. Uh, well, good evening, uh, Uni Church members. It's great to be with you uh, this evening. My name is Roger, one of the ministers of St Matthews. Don't normally get to make it to uh, Uni Church, but great to be with you tonight. Uh, and as we look at this passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 uh, uh, together. Um, If you've got the passage in front of you, that would be great, as we'll refer to it uh, along the way. Now, in many churches, they celebrate church seasons, um, not just uh, Christmas and Easter, but but others as well. And we're currently in a season that's known as Advent. Advent means coming. Uh, It's a time to focus on the coming of Jesus. Of course, we're looking forward to the coming of Jesus at Christmas time. 
which we'll celebrate next week. Um, But Advent also acknowledges that as Christian believers, we are those who wait for the second coming of Jesus. And I reckon it's a really good thing to have a time specially set aside um, to focus on the second coming of Jesus, which is what we're going to do uh, tonight. So, um, so the second coming um, of the Lord is promised again and again by the Lord Jesus. And what we have in the Gospels is the certain promise of a trustworthy uh, person in Jesus, uh, even if it requires for us uh, patience while we wait for his return. Uh, so in John chapter 14, in Luke 17, uh, in Mark 13, in Matthew 25, um, and many other passages, Jesus talks about his coming again. In Jesus' parables, in his teachings, and also in the New Testament, again and again, we know Christ will come again. We're waiting for that promise um, to be fulfilled. And we know a number of things about his coming. We know it's going to be personal. It is Jesus himself, the one who walked Uh, Sorry, the one who welcomed little children, the one who walked on water, the one who raised Lazarus from the dead in person, he will come. We know that his coming uh, will be global. There's going to be no secret about it. Everyone in the world will see him when he comes. Uh, We know that it will be sudden, like a thief in the night. We know that it was predicted just like we can predict and then see leaves upon a tree. And it will be wonderful for his people, but it will be terrible for those who are not ready to meet him, terrible uh, to be in darkness uh, when you meet him. And yet the coming of Jesus is off the radar in the world. Uh, And it's off the radar for much of the church too. So a, a couple of years ago here at St Matthew's, um, there was a fellow from the local community who attended a funeral that I led here at St Matthew's, and he came up afterwards and he thanked me for mentioning God in the funeral service. And uh, I expressed a little bit of surprise, and I sort of thought that he was talking about funeral services he'd been to where there was celebrants and it wasn't at a church. Um, but he told me, no, 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 I'm talking about, I've been to lots of church funeral services in the last year or two. Uh, and there was no reference to God. That he at least sensed that there was something not right there. You know, and as we think about this kind of thing, you know, for many in our society to say anything, not only about God, but to say anything about Christ, and especially to say something about the day of judgment, uh, seems completely absurd. But then you have, then you have the other end of the spectrum, You have those who are kind of weirdly fanatical about Christ's return. They may even show you charts and graphs and offer insane predictions about when when he comes, even though Jesus clearly taught that not even he knows the timing of his coming, but only the Father. The timing of his return is one thing that Christ claimed he did not know. So so here's the question. Um, Is it possible to have confidence in his coming with good effect on our lives and not be wacky um, like some are about this? And the New Testament says definitely yes. And the letters to the Thessalonians, one one of them that we're looking at tonight, gives a definite yes to that question. 
The Apostle Paul had spent three weeks with the Thessalonians. He would have liked to have spent longer, but he was unwillingly thrown out of town by those who opposed him. The Thessalonians, by the way, were suffering severe persecution from, uh, from people around about two, from the Jews. But, you know, by what he taught the Thessalonians in that time, he left them as people who were looking forward to the coming of Jesus, the second coming of Jesus. He says at the start of that, of that letter that their faith had become known everywhere as they turned from idols to, the, to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. There's a great definition of, Christ, of what a Christian is, to turn, to serve, to wait, and they were waiting for Jesus to come. Now, in the second half of uh, chapter 4, um, Paul addressed those who were worried about Christian believers who had already died in 1 Thessalonians 4. Um, they were worried that if the, about believers who had already died, would they somehow miss Christ's return when Christ came again? And he assures them, no, 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 they will go first to be with Christ and then those who are still alive at his coming will go too and together they will be with the Lord. Quick summary of the, of the, the, the chapter just before chapter 5. But in our text today in chapter 5, it's about those who are alive and it's about urging them to live in the security of his coming again. That's where it's, what it's about. So here's the outline of my talk tonight in case it helps you. Um, we're going to look firstly at verses 1 to 3, and I'll call that the power of Christ's second coming. We'll look then at verses 4 to 8, uh, which I've called safe and wise now. And then we'll look at verses 9 to 11, the power of Christ's first coming. So in verses 1 to 3, we see the power of Christ's second coming. See from verses 1 to 2, about times and dates we don't need to write to you, Paul says, for you, you know very well uh, that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. The time and the date of his coming is not the issue, but what his coming will be like is the issue here. And he says, you know he will come like a thief, that he will come, uh, he will come unexpectedly. You know that you don't know the timing. See, in chapter 4, verse 13, in relation to what happens to Christians who have already died when Jesus returns, there were things they didn't know, and Paul had to fill in the gaps. But there are no gaps in their knowledge here. You already know that we don't know the time of his return. See, they're not nervous and worried about the timing of, of Jesus' return, which is what some commentators um, claim here. They're clear and they, and they are calm. And Paul wants to encourage them. He wants to underline and reassure them that they are safe and they are blessed when it comes to the return of the Lord Jesus. Uh, Paul refers to Jesus uh, coming as the day of the Lord. And if you've got your Old Testament radar on, that's, that phrase is full of meaning in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, it spoke of a coming day of judgment when God would deal with his enemies, it's the occasion when um, the Lord intervenes to punish sin that has come to a climax. And at times in Israel's history, that was about the judgment of Israel uh, on, the, on, their, on Israel for their sin. And at other times, it was about judgment on individual nations 
um, for the terrible way that they had treated God's people, so as punishment for them. But remember, either way, Israel had enemies and the prophets promised that God would deal with them and they said that a great day of the Lord would come when the Lord himself would come in final universal judgment. And truly repentant believers would be saved um, while those who remain enemies of the Lord, whether Jew or Gentile, um, would be punished. And we read one of those prophecies just tonight from, from Malachi, didn't we? The prophets predicted God's judgment, but the people of old um, often mocked them. When the prophets promised judgment on his people through the Assyrians and through the Babylonians in the Old Testament, the people didn't believe. But there was judgment. The prophets were right. There was a day of judgment. And now in the New Testament, Jesus and the apostles talked just like the Old Testament prophets. They talked about a day of judgment too, a final day of judgment on all of God's enemies. And God keeps his promises. We need to not make the same mistake as those in the Old Testament. We need to take seriously the teachings of Jesus and of Paul and of the other apostles about a day of judgment. And Paul says here that that day will come like a thief. A thief in the night uh, comes as a surprise, doesn't he? You're not expecting it. It's out, and it's outside of your control. They, they break in and they take your possessions by surprise. They don't knock on your door first and say, oh, I'm here, and they don't announce they're coming. So, so you can be sure of this, can't you, that you'll never find the coming of the Lord Jesus announced in a news bulletin or on some news feed. That will never happen. And in verse 3, the image changes to that of labour pains of a pregnant woman. That's what the day will be like. That is, just as the labour pains of a pregnant woman are inescapable or inevitable, so is the coming of Jesus. Inescapable, inevitable. And the negative result on that day of Jesus' return relates to the danger that unbelievers are in on that day, that destruction is inevitable for unbelievers on that day, unless, of course, there is repentance. Now, Jesus says that the day of his coming is a surprise and it's inevitable because people are unprepared for his coming. So in Luke chapter 17, um, speaking of the days of Noah, um, Jesus says a couple of uh, important things to grasp here. We commonly think of the days of Noah as the Days of the flood, days of disaster, yes. But don't forget uh, the first part of the story. Jesus highlights how everything was normal. That there was, uh, there was nothing alarming to take notice of. Everything was normal. People were eating, people were drinking, um, people were having weddings. Much like our day, normal life just goes on. And then Jesus says that the day of his return will be like the days of Noah. What happened then? The rain came, there was the flood, tragedy came, there was only a small number who were rescued, Noah and his family in the boat that were saved, and a great many were lost, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Now, now when, it, when it comes to the judgment day, I reckon every normal Christian asks this question at some time. You know, can I really be right about this? This is 
this is terrible, isn't it? And it's big in the grand scheme of things. I went to, um, I went to um, the cricket for some time off yesterday with uh, some family for some time off. And, um, and, you know, it's one of those times when you're looking out at crowds of people. And I think we, often as Christians, we look out at big crowds of people and you look out at the crowds and you kind of wonder about the judgment day. Am I completely wacky to believe what Jesus and the apostles, the rest of the New Testament, says about the judgment day? Well, we need to remember a few things. Here's a few quick things to help us there. Remember, Jesus is always truthful. Remember, he had a deep love for the truth. He hated dishonesty and deception. So he can't be lying when he's talking about a judgment day. Um, And secondly, remember that people all around look innocent. But actually, it's not long before we can see that they they do move away from Christ, even just at the mention of the Lord Jesus. They can be be evasive about Christ, unless, of course, God is at work in their heart to change that. And then thirdly, remember that, that God is just. The wonderful thing about the judgment day is that evil will not be left unpunished. That all of the evil um, that we see in this world, God doesn't tolerate that. He will finally deal with all of it and decisively. And the justice of that day is also a great comfort for believers. Um, for, for those, because those who trouble Christian believers for their faith will finally um, be, be brought to justice for those who pers- persist in troubling Christian believers. Well, um, in verses 4 to 8, uh, there's a big shift because Paul now writes of Christian believers. See it in verse 4. He says, but you, brothers and sisters. So what, what's the shift here for Christian believers? Well, firstly, we are safe now. We are secure now, see it in verses 4 to 5. You are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. <clears throat> you are children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. That's a big shift here, isn't it? Darkness to light, death and judgment to life. The unbeliever has some life ahead, but then the judgment of God when Christ returns. The believer has masses of life ahead living in the light and no judgment ahead. So instead of life behind you and only the judgment ahead, the believer for the believer its judgment is now behind you and life is in front of you. That Christ changes totally the condition of the person from a child of darkness into a child of light. Sure, we don't know exactly when the day of the Lord will be, but if you're a Christian, then that day will not surprise us because it won't deprive us uh, like a thief does. Because That's because Christians are children of light. We know he is coming and it will be a wonderful occasion, not an occasion of darkness. If your hope is in Christ, you are a child of the light. You are included in God's family as his child. You've been adopted into his family. So the day of Christ's return is the day that we belong to 
when that adoption that we have into God's family is something that we will then fully enjoy in all of its fullness. So we can be deeply thankful that we are children of the light and of the day. Indeed, that is a day when we will participate in a great triumph. Great victory will be ours on that day when all of our deepest um, hopes that God, that God gives us will come true. So the shift here for believers is in terms um, of our security. Secondly, the shift for believers now is this, because we, is, is to do with wisdom. It's because we belong to the day and not the night, we are to be wise. We are uh, not to be asleep, but to keep watch. See it in verse 6? So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. He says, you are children of the day, so don't go to sleep in the daytime. That's what he's saying, isn't it? Don't be in a spiritual coma. Don't walk around in life in a spiritual coma, failing to keep watch for the day. Be alert. What does that mean for us? It means don't forget about the day of Jesus coming. Keep remembering that something wonderful is coming. Think about that coming day. Let it fill your mind. Read scriptures, many of them, that remind you of it regularly. As Peter says in 1 Peter 1.13, he says, With minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. And having um, this wisdom now also um, means living, living as children of the light uh, and children of the day. Being sober, as he puts it in verse 6, is about being self-controlled. You know, the drunk, the drunk person is not self-controlled, are, are they? It's the, and it's, it, it, it's, there's sober, soberness and drunkenness he's talking about here as an illustration. Well, we are to be sober. We are to be self-controlled. And in verse 8, that's about living a life of faith and hope and love. Living as children of the light, the, being the people who we are. But his point here is not to rebuke the Thessalonians for their sleepiness. He's not saying, why are you so sleepy and rebuking them? He's not so, and he's also not so naive that he thinks that their performance in this life is what will count on the last day as if we can earn God's acceptance. No, what counts is that they are children of light and children of the day. If their faith is in Christ and that's what makes the difference to life now. The reality of our salvation shows itself in a changed life now. He's encouraging them about who they are in Christ and in wisdom to live, to live consistently uh, with that. I think this makes a bit more sense for us as we apply it and then illustrate it. So firstly to apply that, what Paul is saying is that as Christians you are in this world and Christ may come at any time. And you know, all of us, no doubt already at this end of the year, have plans for next year, things that are absorbing our, our, our thinking as we plan things for next year. You may have a, a trip planned or you may be reuniting with friends or family sometime next year or there might be a change to your studies or a change in the work that you do or maybe some new work. But you know, um, something infinitely more wonderful than these plans may happen before any one of them and may happen very soon 
It may happen before you get to the new year. It may happen before we get to Christmas. It may happen before we put our heads on the bed tonight. But, you know, you'll never regret, regret it when it comes or regret that you missed out on any of those plans happening. And that's the coming of the Lord Jesus. And so, and so he says here, as you look ahead in your life, don't forget that wonderful day of the coming of the Lord Jesus and live for that. Why does he say that? Not because he's saying, you're just slack, pull up your socks and be more vigilant. Why does he say, don't forget that day and live for that? He says it because of your sonship, because you are a child of the day and a child of the light. Being a child of the light is what will make that day such a wonderful thing when it comes. So, so let me illustrate that. Earlier this year, my parents, um, I'm close to my parents, I love my parents, uh, they came to stay at our home. Um, imagine that uh, I heard six weeks beforehand that they, that they could turn up at any time in the next six weeks. That's not what happened, just imagine that's what happened. Is that an incentive to forget their coming? You know, is it like this? I don't know when they're coming, so I'm just going to forget all about it until they arrive. No, it's, that's not what it's like, is it? They could turn up at any time in the next six weeks, and that's an incentive for me to remember. It's an incentive for me to make, uh, to make it a joyful reunion when they come. And so well, I, this is what I did. I went into preparations. I made their bed. I got out the towels. I tidied up their room. Uh, yeah, I'll be vigilant about their coming. And then when they came, it was my sonship that made that day such a wonderful day, being their child. So remember, won't you, that because you've been brought into the light, you are a child of the light. Live as those who live in the power of that coming day. Have it grip you and have it change you. That's, what's Paul, that's what Paul is saying here. So we're up to the third point I said we're going to look at tonight, which is from verses 9 to 11, the power of Christ's first coming. But, you know, just to be sure, we've been looking at um, the great comfort for believers in the second coming of Christ. Quick uh, recap of some of those things. Christ will deal with all of his enemies on that, on that day when he returns. For Christians experiencing trouble from their enemies like Paul did, like the Thessalonians did, and for all Christians indeed who have been killed for their faith down through the ages, there, there is a day of justice. And there is great comfort in that day because God will bring for his people all of the joy of the new creation. He'll bring about the culmination of all of his plans for his people. Everything good we experience in this creation be far better in the next, in the new creation. And everything bad, all evil, will be completely done away with when Christ returns. Well, in verses 9 to 10, Paul is saying that the proof of all that um, is in the power of Christ's first coming. But, you know, first he points to something that lies behind the first coming of Jesus. He says, you know... Christians are those who have been appointed for salvation on that day. That if you've heard the call to follow Christ, you are someone who's been appointed for salvation. Behind the call to follow Christ is God the planner. That if you are a Christian, um, 
then God has planned for you um, to be saved, and he did that before the creation of the world. He's a planner, and his plan to save you excites him, it delights him. So he called you to be one uh, who trusts and follows Jesus. How encouraging is that? But the problem also mentioned in verse 9 is that we deserved God's wrath. We deserve God's righteous anger against us because of our sin. So how could God appoint us for salvation when we deserve his wrath? How can God call sinners to himself? And it's in verse 10 that we have the answer put so simply and clearly. It's because of the first coming of Jesus and the power of that. He died. There's the historical fact. And he died for us. There's the theological statement, full of meaning. He died in our place. That's what it means. He died in our place. He died the death that we deserve to die so that we can live. A great transfer took place. And that means that when Christ returns, we can live with him. And so his first coming when he died for us is so that at his second coming we can stand before him not fearing judgment but that will be the day when we stand before Christ with great joy in his presence. If you grasp his first coming then you'll look forward to his second coming. You'll be full of anticipation and excitement about that day. And as his child you won't walk about in a spiritual coma now. You'll keep watch for that day as you wait for that day to come. And what comforts us as we wait is the death of Jesus that has secured our salvation. It covers over all of our failures, every single one of them. Even, I might say, that our failures to keep watch for that day, which this passage is all about. And in verse 10, um, Paul uh, here is now using a different sense of awake. If you've got the passage there in front of you, he's talking there about being awake and asleep It's not about our spiritual alertness now. Um, Being awake stands for being alive and being asleep is about having died. It goes back to what he was saying in chapter 4, verse 17, where sleep is used as a metaphor for death. It's about those who are Christians who have already died before Christ's return and where Paul says they're not going to miss out. Um, They will be raised first. So, So here in verse 10, Paul's rounding off this whole argument that those who die before Christ returns, along with those who are alive at his return, both will live um, with the Lord together. That Christ died for us so we may live with the Lord together. And then at verse 11, um, at the end of the passage, um, Paul says, therefore, encourage one another, because they're such encouraging words, aren't they? Encourage each other with these words is what he has in mind here. Remind each other of what Jesus has done and what he will do, what he will do for you. Remind each other that whatever happens in this life, even death, can't take away our security in Christ because the cross of Jesus is so wonderful and powerful. It will secure you for the coming of the Lord Jesus on that last day. Well, as we um, uh, let's now focus on applying this text a little bit more for a little while before we finish. You know, um, we as Christians, we feel weak, don't we? And we constantly face many temptations and many distractions. 
and you'll face temptations and things that distract you and worry you, even perhaps things that you feel anxious about um, in an ongoing way, about the future. Um, You'll feel those things even before this day ends, I'm sure. But remember that a vital part of the fight um, is to remember this, is to remember that something more wonderful is up ahead at Christ's second coming. And it's guaranteed by his first coming. Don't lose sight of it. Set your hopes on that. Verse 8 has this lovely picture of uh, the hope of salvation being a helmet, a helmet for us. It's our defensive armour in these struggles. Our hope of salvation is a helmet that guards our minds against any worry over our futures. It guards our minds because... The future that really matters, the one God has prepared for us, is truly wonderful and has been secured for us. And one more thing, while we wait for Jesus' return, um, we are to be a signpost of the love of Christ. It's our privilege, because we know what that day holds, it's our privilege to point others to Christ. But I think this passage also highlights that that is a serious responsibility that we have. Because when Christ returns, the lost will face a terrible future, but the found will be wonderfully dealt with. And the lost being found is all about what to do with the God who sent his son to seek and save the lost, who showed his grace and kindness to us at, at his cross, and will show the incomparable riches of his grace to his people uh, in, in the coming ages. You know, I'm really glad that Paul puts these truths so simply and clearly and even so starkly in this passage. Paul's not backward in spelling out the future, that in the future day there'll be the separation of all people. A terrible day for many, but a wonderful day for believers. But I think that our problem can be this. I mentioned it earlier. That when we're pressured by our culture and by our own lack of clear biblical thinking, that we can doubt what Paul says about the day of the Lord here. And then it fails also to help us live the wise life that God wants us to live as a result. Can what God says about the return of Jesus really be true, we think at times? And I think we need to pray for God's help to believe our beliefs and to doubt our doubts. Because we're in danger of doing the opposite, aren't we, with things like this, of doubting our beliefs and believing our doubts. So so what's our current time of living like while we wait for Christ's return? It's like it's like walking around a swimming pool rather than walking around the desert. When you walk around a swimming pool, you're just one step away from being immersed. And I mean that in the best sense of someone by the side of the pool, someone who can swim and is ready to jump in. Our time in this age is like that. We're one step away from being immersed with Christ. And you know, when he comes, the change that God's people will experience will come with startling suddenness. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, the change in us will come in a flash. It's a word that, um, that we get the word atom from. That is, the change will come in the smallest possible time. It will come with startling suddenness. 
But what is our current time like? The time of our waiting for Christ's return. We know he'll come just as he promised and everything that needs to happen before his return has already happened according to God's plan. The time we are in now is just like New Year's Eve when people wait for the coming of a new year in that last minute before midnight. We're in that time where it's just one tick of the clock now until Jesus' return and the new era comes in that he will bring. Already Christ has come. We've had the incarnation. We've had the events of his life and his death, his resurrection, his ascension to the right hand of the Father, the pouring out of the Spirit, and soon now, any time, he will return. And when he does, then there'll be the resurrection, his people will be given new bodies, we'll be like Jesus finally, because we'll see him as he is. There'll be rewards for faithful service. There'll be new heavens and a new earth, a new creation, that, and we will be with the Lord forever and we'll know his love and his presence forever. So therefore, encourage each other with these words. Let's pray. Father God, we... We thank you that the Lord Jesus was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many and that he'll appear a second time to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Lord, with the hope of salvation as our helmet, please please fill us with joyful expectation of Christ's return. As we look forward to that day, help us to live holy and godly lives as your children of light in the, by, the, in the, by the power of your spirit. And as signposts of your love, uh, may we point, uh, it's, may we at St Matt's point many, many people to Christ, that they may come to repentance, know their sins have been dealt with, it's been, have been taken away by the death of Jesus that we remember now, and that with us they might wait for his return, for the return of Jesus as their Saviour. Amen.